Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Awakening right where you are. In this podcast, Eckhart talks with a live audience. He urges participants to wake up from the delusion that the things we think will make us happy won't. Even if we get everything on our wish list, wealth, fame, a life of ease, we still feel unsatisfied. But Eckhart says the world is not here to make us happy. It's here to help us evolve. He says no matter what our situation is, we can surrender to life's challenges and awaken right where we are. The narrative in your mind that you call your life might tell you that your life was a failure. It might tell you your life was a great success. But in this case, you probably didn't come here because if you were totally satisfied by your life, why would you ever look for anything beyond the material things and the mental things. Nobody can be satisfied for very long. So you've all tasted failure, so-called, and some of you might think the whole thing didn't work out. I had such great plans when I was 18. I had great plans for my life, and then it didn't work out, but it, nothing worked out. My marriage didn't work out, and then the second one didn't work out either. <laughs> And then I got a job, and, but then I lost it. And then I made some money, but then I, it made me unhappy because I borrowed so much and became so stressed out that I had to seek psychiatric help and that didn't help. <laughs> oh dear. In other words, your mind is cluttered by stuff. Your mind is cluttered and you can't get out of the clutter. It's like a room full of clutter. And these days it's even more clutter because all the devices that people use clutter your mind even more. Every text message is more clutter because 99 out of 100 text messages are not important, they're just clutter. <laughs> Facebook, again, there might be occasionally important things, but you can, it can continuously bombard it, but you need to take it all in. And very rarely these days, it's, it's get, for people who are not awakening, it's actually getting worse. For people who are not awakening, you can see there's not a moment when they are, in the past, occasionally, when you were somewhere waiting for something, there was nothing to do and you just had to sit there and maybe look around. <laughs> but nobody does that anymore. 
when was the last time you saw somebody just sit there and look around? No, because you have to get out your phone. And of course, what does that phone do? It clutters your mind even more. If you hadn't did, didn't have your phone, there would be a chance of having some spaciousness. You could perhaps look at the sky and go, ah. Oh and appreciate the beauty of it, and the depth of it, and the spaciousness of it, but no, there's a text message coming in. <laughs> and what does it say? It says, what's up? <laughs> and then, of course, you... You have to reply, of course. <laughs> when that goes, the, that space, the naturally occurring spaciousness, not, I'm not even talking about consciously embracing spaciousness, just the naturally occurring spaciousness in a normal person's life, that rarely happens these days. And that's a great dysfunction, and I don't know what effect that it will have on the civilization within two or three generations. Now, there is, fortunately, there is a segment of the population that is awakening spiritually, perhaps to compensate for the dysfunction that many humans are forced to enact, reenact every day. So, declutter your mind is not a process that takes a long time. To declutter your mind, you don't have to go, okay, I'm now taking out this thought. Now, what's the next thought that I'm going to take out? Like if you declutter your room, you have to say, what is it that I don't need? But to declutter your mind is an instant thing. It's an instant thing of withdrawing from thinking and becoming present. And you can do it, as I just mentioned, one example looking at the sky, because there you have spaciousness. The sky is spacious. And that is why Jesus used the analogy of kingdom of heaven. Heaven means sky. In most languages, heaven and sky are the same word. In French, in Spanish, in German, heaven and sky are the same word. So he's talking about the kingdom of the sky. And he said, that's the most important thing. Just find the kingdom of the heaven and everything else will work out in your life. That's what basically his teaching was. Now, I offer a new translation instead of kingdom of heaven. I've already said sky, but I, there's an even better translation that I found, and that is spaciousness. Because the essence of the sky is vast spaciousness. Kingdom, my translation for kingdom is dimension. So the kingdom of heaven is the dimension of spaciousness. It is a dimension of consciousness in you. So the kingdom of heaven, again, when they asked him, where is the kingdom of heaven? Because they hadn't understood what he was talking about. Where is it? When is it going to come? And he said, and this is, I believe, one of the things that is more or less literally true of what he said. Many other things are not literally true that were passed on and written down. But he said, the kingdom of heaven does not come with signs to be perceived. 
You cannot say, ah, it's over here, or look, it's over there. But truly, I tell you, the kingdom of heaven is within you. In modern translations, it says, in the midst of you. Both are true. The kingdom of heaven is within you. It is the dimension of spaciousness in you. And if you find that, that solves not every single problem of your life, no. But it gives you access to a dimension in you from where all the problems of your life and the challenges of your life can be seen in their true perspective and no longer have the ability to draw you in completely and make your life miserable. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Your ability to deal with the challenges of life, which are inevitable. Life is not easy for anybody. It's not even meant to be easy. It's not easy for any life form. Every life form is presented with life challenges, from insects to plants to every little, every life form. Life is challenging and human life is particularly challenging. The more evolved, the more problematic things get. The more you can start thinking, the more problematic life gets. So it does not mean when you find the kingdom of heaven within as the dimension of spaciousness that you are no longer challenged by life. No, but the way in which you respond to the challenges changes. You no longer amplify challenges. They are just there and you either take action or you accept what is for the time being. In other words, the challenges of life, the problems of life, no longer make you unhappy. And that's a huge evolutionary leap forward. So sometimes spiritual people who are spiritual seekers have a misconception that when they awaken spiritually, become 
enlightened, whatever word you want to use, that then they will no longer experience challenges or problems. That's not true. Life continues. Every situation that you go into has a new set of challenges. You could become famous and live in Hollywood or whatever, and you would quickly find, before you thought, when I attain this, I'll really, really, really be okay. I'll be wonderfully happy for the rest of my life. Please, God, just make me famous, and I'll be happy for the rest of my life. Just, I just need 10 million, 20 million dollars to let, make it, make it 20. Let, I just need that, and then, then I need to be recognized that I'm great by other people. I really need that also, but then I'll be really happy. It's not going to happen. Even if you get what you wanted, unhappiness will quickly resurface. This was confirmed to me. I've met a few people who got what they wanted, and they told me how unhappy they became after a while, after the elation of first having it, I'm the greatest. <laughs> and then something happened to deeply challenge them. So the challenges of life remain, and is, that is a good thing, because by being challenged, when you are awakening spiritually, the, the problems, the challenges of life no longer pull you into unhappiness and unconsciousness and reactivity and complaining and seeing yourself as a victim, but they force you to be more intensely present. They bring out more spaciousness. So when you get challenged by life, you go, oh, there it is, another challenge. And you look at it, wow, it always comes. The strange thing is, life does not leave you alone. Where, wherever you go, you, can, you could go to a remote cabin, and when I go there, then I'll be free. You can go to, let's say you have enough money, you can go to the most luxurious resort where you got pampered and treated with massages and the most delicate food every day. Oh, and I'll be there for several months, and surely after that I'll be enlightened. You won't be. You'll just go to sleep. <laughs> it's only if you're challenged by life, you go, oh. And the challenges of life, when you're not conscious enough, when you're unconscious, in other words, the challenges of life turn into suffering. Suffering is a term used by the Buddha. The challenges of life make you unhappy, which means they turn into suffering. Now the big difference when you have access to the dimension of spaciousness in you, the challenges of life no longer make you unhappy. All they do is they force you to go deeper into spaciousness, become more present, more intensely present. And then the way in which you deal with challenges, because some things require you to take action, other things just happen and there's nothing you can do, so you can tell the difference, but if you are able to take action, the action will be far more effective and intelligent 
when you look at a challenge and are present with it, instead of being reactive and complain and or attack something, so your life does improve, your external life improves, despite the fact that you will not be free of challenges, nevertheless, the way in which you experience the challenges of life changes. And there comes a time when you can almost or actually welcome the new challenges that come, which they come all the, every day presents certain things that things happen that the mind might say shouldn't be happening. There's this unpleasant person, there's and there's that, and I missed my, then I missed my plane, and then I missed the bus, and then I lost the money, and then there's always things, always things that seem to interfere with your happiness. And so you leave, leave me alone. I want to be left alone and be happy. Doesn't work. The world is not here to make you happy. No. <laughs> no, because, because if the world were here to make you happy, the entire world would be, be a huge, massive failure of enormous proportions because it's not making anybody happy. So the entire world would be at one gigantic failure. <laughs> it's not meant to be, it's meant to make you conscious. The world is meant to awaken you. The world, be, why? Because the universe wants to become more conscious. There is an evolution of consciousness throughout the universe. And now let's come back to the essence of who you are. The essence of who you are cannot be defined in words. The essence of who you are is the spaciousness within you, the presence that you can sense when you say, I am, or when you ask yourself the question, who am I? Which is actually a meditation recommended by some spiritual teachers in India. Ramana Maharshi recommended it a wonderful spiritual teacher lived in the first half of the 20th century. Who am I? Ask yourself that question, he said. Who am I? Now, what you need to know is if you answer that question through a thought or a word, you're wrong. <laughs> so the, the question, who am I, does not have an answer. The answer is not to be found as a concept or thought or word. Who am I? The question is designed to bring you to a state of alert presence. And you come completely comfortable with not knowing who you are on a conceptual level. There's no thought. In other words, when you use it as a meditative tool and you ask yourself the question, who am I? And after you've asked the question, the mind becomes still and present. And that's the answer. That's who you are. That's the essence, your essence identity, I call it. Of course, you still have your personality and your form identity. The form identity is the makeup of your mind, your psychological form, your conditioned mind, your physical body. That's form identity, and of course you still have that, but you no longer confuse 
you form identity with who you truly are. So you can honor your form identity and even accept the limitations of your form identity. On the level of your form identity, you're never going to be perfect. It's not possible. What you gain here, you lose there. You become good at this and you become bad at that. You can't be everything. You are limited. Your form identity has limitations. And you can certainly try to improve your form identity by learning new things, learning new skills, experiencing new things. All those are wonderful things to add to your, your form. But if that's all you know about yourself is your form identity, which is the conditioned mind and the body, then no matter where you go, no matter who you meet or what situation you go into or what you achieve or attain, you, you will always very quickly become frustrated and unhappy again. That's just how it is. Why? Because you have not realized who you are. Only by realizing who you are can you become free of unhappiness. Not free of challenges, but free of unhappiness, free of suffering. Of course, you can still get a pain, you can still get a toothache. A pain itself is just, when I use the word suffering, I mean psychological suffering. A me that suffers, an unhappy me. So, who am I is the question that has no answer, and the no answer is the answer. Let's take this uh, interesting the room where we are, and you sitting in a chair, and I'm sitting in a chair. Is this really happening? The other day somebody interviewed me, and there were some prepared questions, and one of the questions the interviewer asked me was, is reality real? Well, nobody had asked me exactly that kind of question before. Uh, is reality real? Um, now, you, to answer a question like that, you can't go, let me think. Uh, um, well, I would say that uh, it's real enough because my unhappiness is so real seems so real. No, of course, the question, is all this real, has been asked by many philosophers and so on, because life has, sometimes it comes to you more than at other times, the, the life that you experience has a certain dreamlike quality sometimes. Maybe especially if you get older, you, you can look back and say, is there so much difference between what the, all the things that I've experienced and that have happened to me and a dream that I had last night? And so some philosophers have said, life is really a dream that's happening. Maybe God is having the dream. Maybe you are being dreamt by God. There's some truth in that. But of course we can question whether this moment, you sitting there, me sitting on a chair is actually happening, or whether maybe you are dreaming that you are sitting in a room listening to a man who is telling you that, that maybe you are dreaming. <laughs> uh, so you can question whether this is actually happening or not. Is reality real? 
But of course, if you start thinking about it, you can think for the next 20 years and you can write books about it, it that won't get you anywhere. But there's a more immediate realization possible here, and that is to ask yourself, what is absolutely beyond doubt about this moment here and about myself, which maybe I'm dreaming this moment, that is possible. But is there something else that is beyond doubt? So you can doubt whether this is real. But is there something else that you cannot doubt? Let's see. And don't start thinking about it. Is there something else that I cannot doubt? Yes, of course there is. And what's that? You cannot doubt that at this moment, right now, you are conscious. There is a consciousness in which whatever you're perceiving is perceived. If you were not conscious, you would not be perceiving this room or anything in it. And if it's a dream, the same thing applies. Even if it's a dream, there must be a consciousness in which the dream appears. The light of consciousness in which the dream unfolds. So whether or not it's reality or dream makes no difference to the more fundamental question of what is it about myself that is absolutely beyond doubt, that I can know for sure. And that, that which you can know for sure is consciousness. And it's not so much that you are conscious, that's using language that creates a delusion of duality again, but you are consciousness. The essence of who you are is consciousness, the light of consciousness. Now what that is, scientists have no idea. Most scientists don't mention the word because they don't know what to do with it. But you can verify at this very moment the essence of who you are is consciousness. And that is the I am. That is the spaciousness within. That is the stillness. That is the formless, the unconditioned consciousness. Your thoughts are also part of consciousness, but they are the form that consciousness takes. I compare to the ocean and the surface of the ocean. Your thoughts and emotions are the ripples and waves on the surface of the ocean. And your entire sense of identity, your form identity, me and my life, is a little ripple on the surface of the ocean of being. Now, when you only know yourself as a ripple on the surface of the ocean, then life is very problematic because you are threatened by bigger ripples and, and there may be even some big waves occasionally threatening you. And you, all you look is you see separate other ripples. There's both, that ripple looks better than me. What's that ripple going to do with me? Or come, I can't live without you. And, and we, we need to come together and form a bigger ripple. <laughs> and that doesn't help either. But if the ripple could realize its essence identity as, oh, I'm actually deeper than I realized. I'm not just a surface phenomenon here with my thoughts and emotions and stuff going on in my life. I'm actually, as suddenly the ripple stops thinking, 
And suddenly, as the ripple stops thinking, it's becoming aware of a deep spaciousness. Oh. And that is, the ripple is beginning to realize that it is the ocean. The ocean temporarily appearing as a ripple or wave, just a short while, and go Oh. And then the way in which the ripple experiences life is going to change, because the ripple is no longer fearful of other ripples. It actually loves every other ripple because it can send its oneness with the other ripple. And so that suddenly life becomes more enjoyable. It's not that sometimes it still gets bumped by other ripples, that's okay, but life is actually becoming enjoyable because the ripple is connected with something that is far, infinitely vaster than the little ripple existence. But the strange thing is, when the ripple becomes conscious, and bear with me just one more minute about the ripple analogy. <laughs> As you realize that you are the ripple, I'm sure you know that. So, <laughs> as the ripple realizes its identity as the ocean, ultimately it's not the ripple that's realizing its identity, but, but because when the ripple realizes its identity, the ocean also realizes its identity through the ripple. Now, you can perhaps intuitively sense what I mean when I use that analogy, because when you become conscious of your essence, it goes far beyond a personal realization. It transcends the personal. When a human being awakens to his or her essence identity, it's not just a human being awakening to his or her essence identity, there's the ocean of being, the universe itself, awakening, experiencing an awakening. And the universe wants to awaken. It wants to know itself. And so you are connected to the evolutionary impulse of the universe. And the reason why you've come here tonight, you can explain it on a personal level. Well, I came because I read the book and it helped me and I became interested. And and then, uh, oh, I've already been to hundreds of retreats and I hope that this time I'll finally get it, or whatever. <laughs> you can explain on a personal level why you have come here, but there's a deeper reason why you have come here, because the universe itself wants to experience an awakening. So this is an evolutionary thing that's happening here, and I would suggest this, like, this is not the only place where this is taking place here, but this is of far more important than anything you're going to see on the news tonight. I mean, there's no comparison. <laughs> because almost everything you see on the news, with very rare exceptions, the news is made up of the main manifestations of human unconsciousness on the planet, and that, that makes up the news. <laughs> so you get a wrong impression of what's happening on the planet if you think 
that what you hear or listen to in the news, the, if you believe it, those are things that really matter. <laughs> what really matters is that you awaken and the world changes when enough humans awaken to who they are, then the world inevitably is going to change because you no longer create misery for yourself and others. You no longer create suffering for yourself and others. And you will be able to grow and continue to grow through the never-ending challenges that will continue to come. So be careful when you listen to the news or read or on the internet, wherever you take news, to, so that you have a sense of while you listen, don't get drawn into the unconsciousness of it all. When you interact on the internet, be careful also with what you put out there. Make sure that what you put out is conscious. Make a conscious contribution so that if you make statements there, that make sure they come out of presence rather than the reactive mind. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Big challenges are approaching for humanity and, well, whether they're going to be bigger than the first half of the 20th century, which was the first half of the 20th century was absolute insanity. Hundreds of millions killed, genocides, world wars, unbelievable insanity on a collective, massive collective scale. So do we have to go through that again? Who knows? But don't underestimate how important you are within the totality, how important your state of consciousness is with reference to the totality. It is extraordinarily important. There was a time in the 19th century when humans were beginning to realize, well, already in the 18th century, they're beginning to realize how small we are in relation to the universe, that we are only, a, there's a tiny speck which is our planet and then there are billions and billions of, not just billions of other suns, but there are billions of other galaxies and every galaxy is a huge world to itself. A galaxy is again exists of billions of suns, inconceivable vastness and then humans said we are so insignificant our life means absolutely nothing we are so insignificant and all is just chance the entire evolution everything is totally meaningless chance 
And that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting belief, thoughts in your head. And what they fail to realize is that, yes, on a physical level, we are very small, but every human represents a spark of the one universal consciousness without which there wouldn't even be a universe. For even to be a universe, there must be a perceiving consciousness. For the, this room, there wouldn't even be a room if we were not here to perceive it. What is this table, flower, the atoms and molecules floating around vast space? 99.999% empty space and a few atoms and molecules floating around empty space. It's not a room yet. But then we come, or you come, and suddenly you interpret the atoms and molecules. So it's a creative, the perception of the universe is a creative act. And it's the one consciousness acting through you and then experiencing itself as a world. Amazing thing. So you are, as consciousness, you are of infinite importance. You are an expression of the one universal consciousness that underlies the sense-perceived universe. Now, obviously, the mainstream science will still, well, not that they know very much about the mind yet, don't let them tell you that they know a lot about the mind. We don't know what a thought is, nobody knows what a thought is. What is the relationship between the material brain the big question, what is the relation between the, the physical brain and consciousness? Mainstream science will tell you probably that consciousness, it doesn't even like to use that word, but if it did, it would say it's a byproduct of brain chemistry, whatever that means. A byproduct of brain chemistry. Oh, I don't, don't know what that means. Or you can go deeper and say, well, it's the atoms and molecules in your brain, that make up your brain, and they produce consciousness. Hmm. That's, the, that's the belief in mainstream science. With a few exceptions, some scientists are beginning to doubt that, that consciousness is a byproduct of matter. We don't even know what thought is. What is a thought? Does a thought have material existence? Nobody knows. Does a thought exist as an atom or molecule in the mind? Nobody knows. I can ask you, do you remember when you were 10 years old, do you remember the living room of your, the place where you lived, your house or your apartment? Can you mentally go to the living room that when you were 10 years old and explore the room in your mind? And most people can, and I can, although it was a long time ago. I can go there, where was that living room before I suddenly asked the question, did that living room exist in my mind as a collection of certain living room atoms or molecules <laughs> that were just waiting to be rediscovered? And, and I'm just, this is just one memory. Where did this living room, where does it, where did it survive all these years in my mind? And this, I'm just going, this is just one example of millions of memories that you still have. Do they exist? Do they have a physical existence somewhere? Or is it something that is 
in the good far beyond anything physical, is the brain perhaps no more than a transduced receiver of consciousness, like a radio receives, and so the music comes out of the radio, but the radio does not produce the music, and yet the radio is necessary for you to hear the music. But when you destroy the radio, you haven't destroyed the music, you've just destroyed this particular manifestation of it, in the same way that if a brick falls on my head now, I will stop speaking. <laughs> and, and yet the consciousness that produced these words is not really affected by it. Just the, this brain can no longer work as a receiver of consciousness, and so it stops speaking. <laughs> Sometimes one manifests things, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not in this case. You have to be careful with these things. <laughs> Talking about manifesting, you become better at manifesting. That's an actually a different story that I don't usually, I don't dwell on it for too much because the foundation for awakening is more important. But once you are awakening, awakened, awakening, you are connected with an intelligence that is in the, the unconditioned consciousness that resides in the stillness, the non-conceptual, pre-conceptual intelligence, and you're connected with that, and that increasingly can create through you. It uses your mind. It's no longer the ego that says, oh, I need to attain this or that. There's something deeper and it uses your mind. And it could just, sometimes it's a simple thing like interacting with another human being. And while you listen and listen to what the other person says and you look at him or her, you can sense yourself as this stillness, spaciousness, and you're looking at another human being. And the other human being might be saying, okay, so what did you have? You had uh, c coffee and did you have the apple tart? Yes, okay, that'll be. And you look at the other human being for three seconds, and there's a, a connection, a deeper connection. You can sense the beingness of the other because you can sense your own beingness. And so you connect with the other beyond the personality, which may be nice or not nice, or so-so. You, so you connect with the other at a deeper level, and it might only be a small transaction just you're paying the bill, and yet there is a human connection, and that connection is the recognition of the other as essentially the same as you, because you, in essence, are consciousness, and the other, in essence, is consciousness. The ripple is experiencing the other through its realization of being the ocean. So it, it realizes its connectedness with the other. And when it does that, then to use a word that I normally avoid because it's been misused too much, then that really is love. To recognize the essence of another human being is to love the other human being. But you can only love the other human being. It's not the ego love that says, stay with me. Don't leave me. I want you. 
and of course you know what happens after that. It's a similar story, it goes on. You love until you hate, and then that's the end. There's a, there's a wedding, and there's an interlude, and then the divorce proceedings. And that was the story of the egoic love. I really can't live without you. Can't live without you is n never love. So as Jesus said, of course, you love your neighbor as yourself. Neighbor means anybody who is, happens to be there. But there's a slight mistranslation, unfortunately. I know that, not because I'm a scholar, but I know that through intuition or spiritual discernment. Jesus did not say, you must love your neighbor as yourself, because you would have known that that's not going to work and it never worked in the 2,000 years for most Christians who tried very hard <laughs> and often achieved the opposite. <laughs> so you, can, you cannot tell anybody, you love your neighbors yourself, you better do that because otherwise you'll be punished. Of course, it doesn't work. What he said was, find the dimension of spaciousness within you. And when you find this uncluttered space within you, the stillness, the alert stillness, then you will recognize the other as yourself. And that means you love the other as yourself. That's how it is. So there's not a commandment that says, love the other as yourself would be futile. First, realize who you are in your essence and the rest follows. That's obvious. So what we are talking about is awakening out of mind, identification with thought. We transcend thinking. Transcending doesn't mean you now leave it behind or don't use it. No, transcend means you're no longer trapped in it, that's all. Now thinking can be used as a wonderful tool. Transcending thinking also does not mean that you go back to the level of your dog or even the level of a tree or a blade of grass or a rock because a rock is really peaceful, <laughs> more peaceful than the dog. And the rock is just there. <laughs> now we are not going back to the mineral realm because even in the mineral realm or the vegetative realm or the animal realm, they're all beautiful. And what I'm saying now, there's no evidence for it, I believe, yet in scientific research. Even the rock has an infinitesimal degree of consciousness. It is the consciousness at the first primary manifestation of it as form, as matter. It's asleep, almost, well, completely asleep. Consciousness is, there's an ancient saying, I don't know where it comes from, but it might be Sufism. Consciousness is asleep in the rock. It's dreaming in the plant. It's awakening in the animal, and I don't remember what the rest is, but I'll fill it in. 
It's awakening to itself in the human. So consciousness asleep would be the mineral realm, then it begins to dream as the plant realm, then it begins to awaken as the animal realm, and then it begins potentially, potentially, to awaken to its self-realization in the human realm, but only humans have to awaken first. And then it goes on from there, and then it's not the end, it's an inconceivable vastness that is still going to happen. So we are not, when I say to, to go beyond, beyond thinking, does not mean to regress in any way. I call that falling below thinking, which happens every night when you get tired and you're halfway towards sleep. You're falling below thinking. And you might notice that it's a beautiful moment when you're approaching sleep and you can feel this, the attraction and sweetness of sleep and you can feel, ah. Oh. And there's still some consciousness there, but not enough to remember your problems. <laughs> not even rem remember, you don't remember your personal history because if you did, you wouldn't be very happy. <laughs> so you're, you're approaching sleep and there's this moment of delightful sweetness you can feel. And then, so you're moving, you're falling below thought. In your wakeful life, you are in thought. You're in the grip of thought. You're possessed by thought. You move only in thought when you're not awakened. And so, because humans in perhaps instinctively realize how unhappy they are by being trapped in thought, many humans seek to get out of thought. It's not enough when they go to sleep because it doesn't last very long, the transitional period. So this is the reason why they love drugs and things, because many drugs temporarily free the human from their tortured mind. So you have a good smoke and your mind slows down. Ooh, it feels so good. Some people do it with drink too. Have a drink and you feel a little bit better than you did before the drink. <sighs> Have another. Okay, that must mean I feel even better after the two drinks. One more, perhaps? <laughs> yes, I won't say no. <laughs> and without, of course, again, you can't remember your problems. You might not even remember your address. <laughs> so you're definitely falling below thought. But for a little while, that feels good. You feel a little bit better. You might even sing a song. <laughs> and then finally, you fall off the chair. <laughs> so you're falling below thought. Now, it, it can give the impression that it's liberating, but not for long, and it's not the way to go for humans. We rise above thought, which means, yes, there's no thinking, in the same way that when you drink enough, you can't think anymore, but there's a huge difference. And the huge difference is you are alert, present, awake. You are not. And yet there's no tension in it. There's just an, a relaxed alertness. It almost sounds paradoxical, a relaxed 
alertness. Not an alertness that is forced, not an alertness where you have to hold your breath so that you don't think. <laughs> mustn't think, mustn't think. <laughs> I've met some people who were Zen practitioners, Westerners, who got somehow, yes, they got it that Zen ultimately is about transcending thinking, but they, they applied willpower, so they became very full of willpower, the Zen monks, and gone, <clears throat> I am enlightened. <laughs> I'm not thinking. But then wait for something to happen, and then they blow up. <laughs> because you put a lid on a boiling kettle, so your practice, your main spiritual practice, I would recommend is that you practice, that you invite spaces of not thinking, rising above thinking, into your daily life. For example, by not always getting your phone out of your pocket when there's a moment of waiting for something. Just be there and don't wait, just be, look around, take in your sense perceptions and develop the skill, develop the ability of perceiving what's around you through visual perception or auditory perception, maybe some of the others. Develop the skill, the ability, be, be alert enough so that you can perceive without the interference of thought, without labeling things, without interpreting, without commenting, just clear perception. So there's the perception, and there's the what you're perceiving, and there's the consciousness, the stillness through which the perception happens. One could use an analogy like saying, if you were a painting, what well, is a strange analogy, but if you were a painting, there's something painted on the, your paint, the painting shows certain something, that's your personality. That's, that's what the painting shows. But if the painting suddenly became aware that in essence there's a canvas on which these things are being painted, and that canvas is there in the background, and that canvas in this analogy that I'm using is the consciousness that you are. And in that consciousness that you are, your life unfolds like a painting, if it, let's say it's a living painting that changes, like a painting on a canvas, and things happen. And yet, behind this, there is the perceiving consciousness, the presence, the awareness. And you know that that is who you are in your essence. And then you deal with this other stuff beautifully. It's fine. That's the stuff of your life. And in the stuff of your life, you gain something, and then you lose something and then you gain something else, and you lose something else. This up and down, high and low, good things happen, bad things happen, and yet the mind doesn't actually judge that much anymore. It just accepts what's happening in this moment. It becomes aligned with this moment. So you become more and more present to this moment without arguing with what is, being the space for what is. You are not what happens, you are the space 
for what happens. So you know yourself as that. Then you're rooted in being, rooted in yourself, rooted in being. So there's the doing and the being. The doing includes thinking, activity, external activity, and thought activity. So you do, you participate in life, you think, you do the thinking, without losing yourself in the doing of the thinking, because you're rooted in being, the being is in the background, and then you can think, without being lost in thought, without being possessed by thought, because you know yourself to be, in essence, that which is beyond thought, the ocean. And so the practice then is to invite this thoughtless awareness into your daily life, for example, by looking at things without imposing conceptualization, without labeling it. You can look at a flower, you can look at the sky, even artificial light, anything, even what's here. You can look around the room without interpreting it. It's beautiful. Now, that's just before we finish, just one little thing. We are in this room, we are looking, we are aware of the totality of this room, the ceiling, the lights, people, your body on the chair, and you're aware of all that. You can take in the totality of that. You're also aware that you're breathing. You're aware of all that and don't need to interpret it, just look, look around. But then be also aware of your own presence. It's not your own, I just call it your own for a moment. Be aware of your own presence, the presence that you are. And then there's the sense perception. In the background there's the presence, and that's a stillness. So there's a stillness behind your sense perceptions. And you can do the same if you're walking along the beach. You look at, there's the sky, there's your, and then and everything helps you to become still. And when you can do it on the beach, then you go into a little forest or something like that. And once you are more familiar with that state of consciousness, you can go out into the downtown traffic, walk around busy shopping street, and do the, that's a little bit, require, requires more intense presence to be, stay present there. But it's beautiful once you can do that. You can actually enjoy all the manifestations of life around you. You can actually enjoy all the, the dance of life around you, whether it's nature, which is of course easier to be in nature and still than it is to be in a city and be still. But ultimately, even in a city, it's more challenging. But the challenges are good. So don't run away and say, I, I, I need to be alone in nature, otherwise I can't do it. Yes, nature is very helpful. It can put you in touch with that stillness because nature is still. The trees are still. The sky, there are some sounds, but basically there's a vast stillness there. And then you practice in the city. You go into a cafe and sit there, and there's all bustling, all people running around and talking and doing until you practice for 10 minutes instead of looking at your phone while you're drinking your tea or coffee or water if you're health conscious. <laughs> While you sit there, you just be there and, and watch for 10 minutes. Be the presence. Then you are like a wonderful thing to be just the awareness in the room. 
instead of a person. Because when you don't remember your personal history and your problems, you're not a person. You're just an awareness. You're just a presence. So you sit there in that cafe as, as an aware presence. The person will, will come back. You haven't lost the person. You're still a person. It'll come back soon enough after you've finished your coffee. But, but while you're there, you sit there as be the awareness rather. And then you can, you can shift from time to time. You shift in certain situations. You're more of an awareness than a person. In other situations, you're still much more of a person than the awareness. And gradually the two come together and then the awareness shines through the person or the personality. And the being and the doing merge. And then you don't have to separate them and say, okay, I can be when I meditate for 20 minutes in the morning I be and the rest of the day I do. But there's a separation. You need to bring them together. So in the doing, you're still conscious of being, of presence. That's the art of life, of living. And then everything changes, the world changes. And so, thank you. That was the secret of the universe. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.